If you're reading through, and this is what we want you to do, you're going to get tired of me doing this, we want you to open this up. And we want you to read it, and we want you to reflect on it daily. That's what we want you to do. That's what this Eat This Book Challenge is all about. Now, if you are reading through, and you are caught up, and remember we said the most important thing is not that you read through it all, but that you reflect daily. But if you are following through, and I just finished uh, reading through, we're in Exodus now. We're in the book of Exodus. And uh, by the way, I just wanted to put a commercial on. On the website, if you go there, before you read the book of Exodus, or if you're in the middle of it, we actually have a video that kind of over, just kind of an overview of the book of Exodus. And we have the book for uh, Genesis and Exodus, and I think he did Leviticus too. You might want to watch the Leviticus one before you read it, because Leviticus can be a challenging book. So uh, here's where we're at in your reading. Uh, no longer is the nation of Israel guests, a family of 70 guests in Egypt. They are now slaves. They are a nation of slaves, and that's where you find yourselves. So uh, I want you to continue to keep reading, uh, keep reflecting. If you've stumbled, if you haven't, maybe it's your first time and you didn't know we were doing this and you, it's been a while since you've been to Hope or your first time here, you could join us at any time and we'd love you to join us. Just go to the website, go to the Eat This Book and it explains what we're doing. Uh, start today. Or if you have you know, been, not been doing well, I'm going to try to cheer you through this. Really, I am. I'm going to try to cheer you through it if I can. And I'm not really much for cheerleading, so, you know, this is really a stretch. So, so where have we been? Week one, we looked at Genesis 1 and 2. I kind of gave you, I hope, a picture of a factory. And I said, creation, think of it as a factory and as an empty factory on days 1 through 3 and then 4 through 6, the, the places and the, the offices and the machine. And then God shows up on day 7 as the as the owner of the factory, and the factory goes into work. And I gave you that picture of Genesis 1 and 2. Week 2, we chose, uh, we looked at Genesis 3. We said, man, the fall of man, the sin of Adam and Eve has incredible lasting effects to us today. And uh, we talked about those. This uh, weekend, we want to look at Genesis 12, probably one of the most important chapters in the book of Genesis, if not the Old Testament. And it's where God makes a promise or a covenant. Covenant, it's a similar word for promise that God makes with man. First, his name is Abram, and then it gets, God changes it to Abraham. Uh, Sarai is changed to Sarah, his wife, and uh, God makes a promise to Abraham. And it has incredible implications. So I want to start reading in Genesis chapter 12. And in the chair Bible, if you turn to page 10, you'll find it. Now, as I said before, I'm not putting the verses up there because I really want you to open this up. And I want you to, if you have your smartphone or your, your, your iPad or whatever, you can follow along with me. Let me start reading at verse 1. Then the Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Now, if you have your Bible with you and you're reading through this, if I was you, I would underline or highlight or do something to bring those verses out because those are incredibly important passages. It's an incredibly important passage 
for understanding what's going on. What did God promise Abraham here? Three things. He promised him first land. He says, you are going to have land. And we know that God gave him the land. If you read through the book of Joshua, Joshua is where the nation of Israel takes in the promised land, the land that God promised to Abraham. And we'll see more of how that land theme is developed. Secondly, he promises Abraham that he was going to have descendants, a lot of children, and more than he could count. And we know that's true because if you, in our reading, if you're in Exodus, you know that they went from 70, a family of 70, Jacob's family, to a nation of millions as we get to the book of Exodus. And then number three, blessing. He said, Abraham, you are going to be blessed by God, but not only that, you will be a blessing to all the families of the earth, to all nations. Now, this is all played out later on. But I want to just uh, tell you, it's interesting to me that Abraham never saw any of these promises fully fulfilled in his lifetime. Never. He didn't, in, in fact, he barely saw that he was going to have a, a descendant, a son. And, and that's part of, as you read through Genesis, you saw that. The challenge that, that he had for a son. Now, I want to give you a quick, and it's going to have to be really quick, because I think it's important you have this so you understand what's going on. It's structure. Again, we're, we're trying to go at the 20,000 level. We're not going into minute details. But I want to give you a Covenant 101 class right now. So it's a mini class, all right? I want to talk about the different covenants and how they work. First, we have the covenant that God had with Abraham. Abraham and we call that the Abrahamic covenant. And uh, it's found in Genesis 12, reiterated in Genesis 15 and Genesis 17. And they are continued. The Abrahamic covenant is further developed through other covenants that God has with other people. For instance, God has a covenant with Moses. We call that the Mosaic covenant. And uh, that's found in Exodus 19, uh, chapter 19 through 24. And under the Mosaic covenant, God directs his people with the giving of the law. He gives them the Ten Commandments. He, he, uh, he uh, gives them the plans for the tabernacle so that God could be with his people and that he could be a blessing with, for them. Uh, he has grown Adam's, uh, Abraham's seed to millions at this point. Uh, the Mosaic Covenant. The Palestinian Covenant is found in Deuteronomy 29 through 30. And the Palestinian Covenant is really the covenant of the promised land. That God would, and, and it basically is saying, this is the promised land that I promised to your forefathers and to Abraham. And that he would have a, a possess, he would possess a land. And then we have the Davidic Covenant. That's the covenant that God has with David, King David. And that's found in 2 Samuel 7. And now, why is that important? Because David is promised that not only would he always have somebody on the throne, a descendant on the throne, but that there would be an ultimate David, an ultimate king that would come, an ultimate, and we know him to be Jesus. And so the Davidic covenant is an outworking of a promise from the Abrahamic covenant. And all you'll see all these covenants in there. Now, the last covenant we want to talk about is just a, real quickly, and I don't have time to go into it, is called the New Covenant. And that's found in Jeremiah 31. Now, under the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Law, the, it, there was law and stones, there was the Ten Commandments. And in the New Covenant, God says, I'm not going to write my laws on stones anymore. I'm going to write my law on your heart. And he says this, um, 
He says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after these days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. And uh, that's the new covenant that God promised. And it was is different than the old covenant. Now, here's the big idea that I want you to take with you this weekend. We are always called by God. When, when we are called by God and we accept the call and we meet God and we are overwhelmed by his presence, we are always moved to engage in ministry. It will always happen. Now, what is ministry? What do I mean? Because we throw that word ministry around and we say, well, what do you mean by ministry? And I have a definition. I think I put it in your notes. Ministry is using your gifts and resources to meet the needs of others in Christ's name. Ministry is serving people. That's essentially what ministry is. It's using what God has given you and leveraging, whether it's your time, your talent, or your treasure, and using them for the good of others and to serve others. If you are a Christ follower, if you're one of His people, you are called to ministry. Not just pastors are called to ministry. Every one of us, if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, we're called to ministry. We're called to serve. Now, I want to make three observations about our call to ministry, okay? And I want to draw those from the life of Abraham. And more specifically, these verses that we looked at in Genesis chapter 12. First thing I want to say is this. When we experience God, we understand that we were made and we are made for a mission. God didn't just save you so that you can go on with your life and do whatever. He saved you with a purpose. He has a mission for you. Uh, Like Abraham, when we meet God, he calls us to something bigger than ourselves. We are called to live for others. Whenever someone meets God, and, and what I mean here is really meets God, there's a significant change in them. The course of their lives is changed forever. They have a new purpose. They have a new direction. They have a new focus. There's a radical change. And many of you are here, and you know what I'm talking about. When you met God, your life went off into a different tangent. It was a diff- you're, You've gone in a different... Your values are different. Your, 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 your North Star is different. You're, you have a different... Your life has changed. It, it doesn't, it's not like you've turned on a dime, but your direction has changed. You're a different person than you were 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 4 years ago. Let me give you a couple of examples of what I mean. And what I'm essentially saying is when you really meet God, He will leave such an impression on you. He will leave such a, a mark on you that you will never be the same person again. And it will change you. And it will move you to serve others. Uh, look at the example of Isaiah. He sees God. And what, is, what happens to him? Let me read you that passage This is Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. Then I said, because, you know, the context here is that (laughs) Isaiah is doing his best to try to describe it to us. He's seeing the glory of God and he's doing his very best. I mean, it'd be like seeing something you've never saw before, but it was indescribable. It was amazing. It was awesome. It was incredible. And, And you just try to, and he's trying to describe it. And then it says this. This is his reaction. Then I said, This is verse 5 of Isaiah 6. It's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man, and I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen 
the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal that he had taken from the altar with a, with a pair of tongs. And he touched it to my lips and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Now, what does that all mean? I have no idea. I really don't. It's kind of apocalyptic. Something happened where he was forgiven. That's it. Okay? I mean, you want to dig deeper, go ahead. But I don't understand it. What I do understand is the last verse. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? Isaiah says, Here am I. Send me. What I'm telling you is when you have an when you have an experience with God, when you really get to know Him, and when you see Him, you are moved. You, you can't do anything but serve. You're just called to it. Let me give you another example. New Testament. Peter's out. He's fishing. All night. No fish. And Jesus calls him. He says, well, why don't you put your nets down one more time? Put them down one more time. The catch is enormous. It's incredible. They're, they're about ready to sink their boats. And Peter is awestruck. He's amazed. And this is a reaction in verse uh, 8 of Luke chapter, uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 8. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. Sounds like Isaiah, doesn't it? For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, from now on you'll be fishing for people. You see what's going on there? He is awestruck. He's amazed. And he says, I'm not worthy. The same thing Isaiah said. And what, is, what does Jesus say to him? Jesus says, you know what, Peter? Here's what's going to happen. Instead of going for fish underwater, you're going to be going for people. You're going to be going for people's hearts. You're going to be a fisher of men and women and young people. That, that's the call that we have. By the way, um, this is a great verse for the deity of Christ. Because what does Peter do? He bows down. And he falls at his feet and begins to worship. And Jesus says, oh, whoa, 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 I'm not God. No, he accepts that worship. And in reading the book of Revelation, when John falls down at, at the feet of an angel, the angel says, hey, you know, no, 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 no. Jesus accepts worship. Um, let me give you one more example. Jesus was praying for his disciples and he said this. Just as you, Jesus is praying to his father in heaven, just as you sent me, into the world, I am sending them. That's us into the world. You see, God, the point I want you to see with Abraham, with, with Isaiah, with Peter, God calls you in to send you out. He calls you in to send you out. Uh, he, he, he wants you to be a purpose, a person with a mission. Joy comes when you begin to serve something that's bigger than yourselves. And the biggest problem that we have when we don't have joy in our lives is because we're trying to serve ourselves. And you know what? There's a little bit of joy, but there's not a lot. Joy comes. The only thing that qualifies that you should give yourself to, it's not your career. 
It's not your various accomplishments. It's not your desires. Only God is worthy of such a quest. Joy comes by serving God and giving yourself to others. That's where joy comes from. And so when God calls you in, when you catch a picture of God, when you get that, when He calls you in, uh, He calls you in to send you out. Now, let me make a couple of clarifying comments. When you get a grip on who God really is, you're compelled to ministry. Well, let me be clear. I'm not talking about I generally believe in God. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of Christians who say, oh, I generally believe in God. I believe in God. I love God. You know, whatever. That's not what we're talking about. Most people only have a general belief in God. They've never experienced the presence or the call of God. They've never had one of these. And I don't think it has to be one of these moments where you, I just think where you're just, you're amazed by God. He, maybe through the word of God, you're just amazed by it. You're broken by it. And I'll talk more about what that looks like. You'll know, though, when you meet God, it will just, you know what it does? When you really meet God, it destroys your consumer mentality. When you really meet God, it destroys your consumer mentality. What do I mean by that? When God said to Abraham, he says, get out, leave the comfort zone. Trust me. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, he doesn't even tell him where to go. He says, just leave. I'll show you where we're going when, when, I, when you need to know that. <laughs> he doesn't say, okay, by the way, here's where you're going to go. You'll have a house. I'll take care of you. No, he doesn't do that. He just says, just leave. It's not the place. It's really, we get so hung up on the place, don't we? We say, God, where are you calling me? When are you calling me? What are you going to do? How's it going to work? Give me all the details. We get so caught up with all the details. And God says, you know what? Don't worry about the details. I'm just looking for the desire. Do you have the desire to follow me? Will you, will you obey me? Will you trust me? Is that, is that okay? You see, God is more interested in our hearts, our desire. Have you ever said this to God? You say, God, I'll serve you, but not in this ministry or not in this place or not here or not with kids or whatever. Yeah, I just, have you said that? Have you put limitations? Now, I always do this geographically with God as a joke, and I know it's a joke, but I always say, God, I'll never serve you in Hawaii. Don't even bother to ask me. It's off the table. I won't do it. You, you could call me, but I am not going there, you know? Now, I wouldn't say that about Gary, Indiana, but that's a whole other thing. I hope God's not thinking anything right now. Here's what you have to ask yourself, though. How can I best spend myself for his glory? He calls Abraham in. And he says, Abraham, I'm calling you to leave. Okay? God will bless you, and God bless God blesses you when you bless others. He blesses you to bless others. Uh, he gives you more. Uh, when he, God gives you more, He's probably not giving it so you could spend it on yourself. Or he may be giving it to you so you could share it with others. So that's the first thing. Secondly, when God calls us, we must consider the cost. If Abraham had remained with his familiar surroundings, if he had stayed in his comfort zone, he would have missed out on God's blessing. You know, I mean, God said to him in chapter 12, we just read that, that passage, he said, I am going to bless you. The reason God's blessing him is because he obediently left. He may be calling you out of your family, out of your lifestyle. He may be calling you out of your profession. God said to Abraham, you're going to be a blessing to many people. 
You can't bless others unless you're willing to leave your comfort zone. You know, you're going to have to make a... What I'm really talking about is this. Unless you're willing to sacrifice, you're really not going to be, be fairly, you know, useful to God. I mean, Jesus, you know, there was no holes barred when he called people to follow him. He says, well, listen, I've got to bury a family member. He says, let the dead bury the dead. That, that his point is, you, you've, you've got to be fully committed here. If you want to be used by God, you can't be a private Christian. If you choose to represent Jesus, it's going to cost you something. You need to consider the cost. Let me ask you a question tonight. Are you fearful of forfeiting your security of the known, the safe, and the comfortable? See, one of the clear calls of Jesus is if you want my blessing, if you want my presence, you're going to have to leave maybe your family, maybe your security, maybe your comfort, maybe your status, something. What is it? You know what it is. There's something that maybe God has called you and he says, you need to leave. You need to walk away from that. And, and if you are willing to walk away from that, I'm going to do some amazing things in you and through you. You're going to be an incredible blessing to other people and I'm going to bless you. You see, Jesus is worthy to call us out. Why? Because he's the ultimate example of getting out. What did he do? Jesus got off of his throne over the universe. And he left heaven. He was born as a helpless baby to a poor family. He lived a good life only to be executed as a common, common criminal. Jesus is the ultimate example of getting out. He's, he, here's the difference. He was cursed so that we could be blessed. We could not be blessed unless he was willing to get out of heaven and be cursed for us. Uh, that's what I love about Scripture, and that's what I love about Jesus. He never asks us to do something he hasn't already done. He doesn't say, okay, I've never done this, I'm never going to do this, but you need to do my dirty work. He does it. Here's the third thing I want you to focus on tonight. When we serve him we will experience his presence. And that's what he's essentially saying. He says, I'm going to be a blessing to you, Abraham. <laughs> I think the one thing that most Christians are missing today is the presence of God. I think, <laughs> and I was thinking about that. I says, why is that? Why is it that we aren't experiencing the presence of God more? And I think there's, I think it goes, it comes down to this. There's two reasons. Number one, we're self-serving. We're consumer-driven. Uh, for instance, what I mean by that is we only want enough of God to get us by. God, I don't want too much of you. I just want enough. Or we, we, want, we only want God as a standby. I need you, God. If there's a problem, if there's an issue, I'll call you. Or, you know, in case of emergency, say, God, if there's an emergency, you bet. You'll be the first one I call, maybe the second or third, but you'll be in there somewhere. Don't worry about it. Uh, or we only want God, and this, there are some people out there, they only want God when they're ready to die. I mean, you talk about people who won't, won't give God the time of day, but then all of a sudden they got cancer and they got a month or two to live. All of a sudden God becomes their best friend. God has become, for many, for, for many Christians, a means to an end. What I'm saying here is this. 
We simply want to, there are times, and maybe this is true of you, maybe this characterizes your relationship with God. You want to marry God for his money. Now think about that for a minute. Imagine you had a brother who's wealthy, and he marries a woman who doesn't love him. She only wants his money, and it's very obvious to the whole family. You watch it, and you see it. And we would call her what? A gold digger, right? She loves him for what he has, not for who he is. And you know who he is. You know how beautiful of a person he is and how loving and kind and considerate he is. But she doesn't care about any of that. She just wants what he has. Your brother would probably feel violated and used. And yet, many Christians today look at God in the same way. They want Him for what He has. They don't want to be with Him. They want His possessions. They don't want His presence. That's one reason. And that's why we have this consumer mentality. God, what can you do for me? You need to give me this. Or you say, I'll serve you, but you need to do this. And it's this kind of back and forth with God. Secondly, as I said last week, one of the reasons we don't want the presence of God is because we're hiders. We, we, listen, we know that when we stand before God, we don't want to be like Isaiah. We don't want to be like Peter. We don't want to be, man, I am a mess. I, I can compare myself to other people and I look pretty good. But when I compare myself to God, man, I am a mess. I don't want to see that. It's a disaster. You know, it, it's like, don't show me that. We're ashamed of seeing ourselves as we really are. We fear the presence of God because we fear His rejection. We think, well, look, I'm a mess. Why would God ever want me? So we try to hide from Him. That's what we saw last week. What did it, what's the first thing that Adam and Eve did when they sinned? They saw themselves naked. Now, it wasn't just physically naked. They saw they, were, they had changed They were no longer comfortable in who they were. And they were not comfortable with being with God anymore. Because they knew that something was going to happen. Either they were going to be found out and and who they really are was going to be exposed. Or they were going to be punished. But here's the point. The whole point of Jesus coming to earth was so that we would come to him. As the mess we are. He already knows that. So a couple clarifications and comments on this. How do you know when you're beginning to experience the presence of God? Well, you want to know Him. You want to be with Him. You see your utter falseness, your unworthiness, your sinfulness, but you feel His calling. You feel His grace and His love and His mercy. It's that two-sided coin where you say, I'm a sinner and I'm a mess, but I'm loved and I'm forgiven because I've called upon Jesus to be my Savior. See, He compels us to come. He says, I know you're a mess. I know your life is not together. And I know you're never going to get it together. I get that. But if you want to experience the presence of God, it's like a two-sided coin. One, one side is that we see ourselves as we really are, and the other is we have a deep desire to be with Him. Because we know He won't reject us. I mean, listen, if He gave His life. <laughs> I 
God calls us out so that we can experience His presence. You can't experience Him and stay where you are. Adam and Eve had to come out to be with God. Isaiah basically had to be called out before he could serve God. Peter had to be brought to a place where Jesus showed Peter, I'm not just a religious teacher. I'm God. (laughs) And when you experience his presence, you will be compelled to serve him, to bless others, to leave your comfort zone, to give up your treasures, to spend yourself for his glory. That's what he's called you to. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, nothing less than that is acceptable. Nothing. He says to Abraham, Abraham, leave your comfort zone, leave your family, leave whatever wealth you have and go to a place that I'll show you. And Abraham says, okay. Now, it wasn't all pretty, (laughs) believe me. But that's why Abraham was blessed by God. That's why Abraham was a blessing to all the families, all the nations of the world, and to us. That's why we're talking about Abraham today. Because he left his comfort zone when God called him, and God did amazing things through Abraham. And God wants to do the same through you. So, the call is there. The hiding needs to stop. The manipulation, the consumer mentality has to go. And we have to grab the presence of God. And when you grasp the presence of God, you'll just say, where can I spend myself for him? I pray that that would be your prayer and your response as we look at Abraham. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, we've covered a lot of stuff tonight. And I pray that this weekend, whether it's here at the Kennedy campus or at the university campus, that you would work in our hearts even right now. What is the one or two things that we need to walk away from that have brought us comfort? What is it that we have found ourselves saying no to you about? Father, whatever it is, I pray the Spirit would come into our lives and show us what is keeping us from you. I pray, Father, that we would experience your presence in such a powerful way that we can do nothing but spend ourselves for your glory. Father, use us to bless this community, to bless you. We ask in Jesus' name.